Welcome to the Stony Plain Alliance Church Podcast. We are a community that is about discovering fullness of life for everyone by practicing the way of Jesus together. Well, welcome to all. It's grateful. Uh, I'm grateful to be with you today uh, at the beginning of this journey as one of the pastors here on the team and just anticipating good ahead as we follow in the way of Jesus together. And one of the things that uh, God's put on my heart for us as a team and as a church, as elders together, uh, something that I've brought up in my own home uh, for many years is that you know, I want us to be a fearless people, that when we gather together, that when we're in prayer, when we're in worship, when we have meetings and small groups and all those sorts of things, that none of us need be afraid because we're together and we're in Christ and we're inviting others to the same. And to be the kind of church where fear never ever gets to make the decision. Because fear always wants a voice in every decision. Fear wants to create a culture of paralysis, but Jesus has set us free. And I believe in the days ahead, God is making us into, into greater measure, a fearless people who walk by faith in the way of love. And I'm just so excited to be on this journey with you. And we are continuing in our walk through the Gospel of Mark today. And last week, just to bring you up to speed, because the two stories we're talking about are a little bit connected The context from last week is that Jesus now, as we come through the book of Mark, is making his way to to Jerusalem and is kind of facing the apex of his life and ministry that is eventually going to come to his death and burial and resurrection. But right now, there's this movement in the text. And the gospel writer Mark is starting to build up this tension as Jesus, step by step, goes from a ministry in Galilee, way in the north, and starts making his way to Jerusalem. To face what he's going to face. And there's so much tension building through the story because everyone is wondering is what's going to happen when Jesus finally arrives in Jerusalem? What happens when he's there at the epicenter of religious and political powers of his day that are so dead set against him? What kind of Messiah will he be? What kind of savior, what kind of king is this Jesus that's on this coronation march towards Jerusalem? What kind of king is he going to be like? What kind of kingdom is he going to establish? And as we saw last week, we had some disciples along with Jesus, and they had made all kinds of assumptions about what kind of kingdom Jesus was introducing. And they wanted to make sure and ensure that their portion of the glory and power was kind of guaranteed. They wanted to get beside Jesus and were like, listen, Jesus, we know how it all goes. You are going to like walk into Jerusalem and take over and we're going to imprison people and you're going to be powerful and uh, we want some of that because we think where you're headed is awesome and we want in on the deal. And they say, do us a favor. And in Mark 10, 36, Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? And these disciples reply with, well, give us places of honor in your kingdom. Make us your first overall draft picks in the stuff coming up for the future. Put us right at the top of the list. There's good stuff coming and we want first in. And Jesus replies to them with this response of basically saying, you don't understand what you're asking for and I'm not going to give you your request because I'm looking for the hearts of servants, not people who are addicted to power. Now right on the heels of this conversation What is it that you want me to do for? What do you want me to do for you? We want power and glory. And Jesus is like, no, we got to keep walking. You'll get it someday. And right on the heels of this conversation between Jesus and his disciples, we come to our story today in Mark 10, 46 to 52. Tension is building. What's going to happen? And then this. 
Then they came to Jericho. So now they're moving towards Jerusalem. You're going to see this in the next few weeks. There's this walk happening. So they're at Jericho. As Jesus and his disciples, together with a large crowd, were leaving the city, a blind man, Bartimaeus, which means son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside begging. When he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Many rebuked him and told him to be quiet, but he shouted all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus stopped and, called and, and, said, and, and said to the crowd, call him. So they called to the blind man, cheer up, on your feet, he's calling you. Throwing his cloak aside, he jumped to his feet and came to Jesus. What do you want me to do for you? Jesus asked him, does the question sound familiar? What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said, Rabbi, I want to see. Go, said Jesus. Your faith has healed you. Immediately, he received his sight and followed Jesus along the road. This is the word of the Lord to us today. So they passed through Jericho, and they're on their way to Jerusalem. There's big crowds around Jesus, all in anticipation of the days to come. And it feels like in this moment in the text, like people are being caught up in a wave of glory towards this inauguration or coronation of Jesus that they're anticipating as Israel's promised king. And as they pass through Jericho, maybe they stayed the night there and they're having the conversations with the disciples and the crowd's starting to grow. They, they leave Jericho and they're on the main road and they encounter a blind man who's named in the text, named Bartimaeus, begging by the side of the road. Hang on to that. There's a reason he's named. I'll get there. They encounter Bartimaeus on the side of the road. Now he's positioned himself Bartimaeus has in this high traffic area. There was one main road through a gate in and out of Jericho to the south of the city where Jesus would have passed through. And it's where all the travelers, when day trade would be happening and people coming to market or they had just farmed and they were bringing the harvest in. This was this high traffic area. And here's Bartimaeus sitting by this gate on the side of the road so that he can catch as many people as possible in their course of daily business and trade. And so this crowd starts coming, and although Bartimaeus can't see what's happening, remember, he's blind, Bartimaeus hears that it's Jesus passing by. You know, perhaps the shouts of the crowd that, we're gonna, that we hear about at Palm Sunday as Jesus moves towards Jerusalem, Hosanna, praise be to the Son of David who comes in the name of the Lord. Maybe Bartimaeus hears those shouts, hears those cries, hears those cheers, and he starts to realize, Bartimaeus does, who it is that's passing by, and that this day is going to be unlike any other day because someone unique is about to pass by his little spot of begging. And Bartimaeus, in a moment, immediately realizes and seizes on the fact that this is his chance for a life-changing encounter. It's possible, you know, Bartimaeus sitting in his spot begging has heard the stories of Jesus. It's possible that he's been eavesdropping in on the testimonies of travelers that were telling amazing stories about this Jesus of Nazareth. He would have heard it in that city. Word had spread all about Jesus. And although Bartimaeus could see nothing, maybe he's hearing the testimonies, he's hearing the stories, he's staying caught up on the regional news, and Jesus of Nazareth is making waves. It's possible that maybe Bartimaeus had already come to believe that Jesus was his Messiah. He was Israel's king. 
Because Bartimaeus shouts out something kind of interesting. He says this. He realizes it's Jesus of Nazareth. But he says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Now, this title that Bartimaeus uses is not by accident. Totally on purpose. You see, there was this prophecy that coming out of the line of David, it's in 2 Samuel, it says, Someday, out of this line of David, there will come a son, and he will be the true king and ruler of all, and he will bring peace and mercy and justice, and the world will never be the same. And this whole messianic idea that someone in David's line probably has to be born in Bethlehem, probably needs to come from a certain area, probably needs to be part of a certain genealogy. When that person comes, you can know that the light is dawning. You can know that the sun is rising. You can know that your life is about to change forever. And Bartimaeus, although unable to see, is hearing about this Jesus of Nazareth and has made the connection in the ancient prophecy that the one who's about to pass him by is the one who was spoken of that would bring life to everyone. And so he calls out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. You know another way to say it? Jesus, I know who you are, have mercy on me. I figured it out. It's his way of saying, Jesus, I know who you really are. And I trust you and I see you as my Messiah. Because I'm asking you for mercy. So Bartimaeus keeps shouting it out. And others in the crowd try to shut him down. The literal translation out of that was like, shut your mouth, you're annoying. Like the crowd's going by. And maybe they're like, yay, Jesus. But then they've got, Jesus, son of David, have mercy. And like, shh, that's not the song we're singing. Stop. You're like, you're out of tune. You're bothering us. Now apparently Bartimaeus really didn't care much about the opinion of the crowd because he uses it as fuel. And he starts shouting louder. Jesus, son of David. Have mercy on me. I know who you are, and I'm coming to you for mercy. Will you see me? In verse 49, Jesus stops. This is so fascinating. Imagine Jesus walking. He's surrounded by this crowd. Maybe over here is Bartimaeus. Bartimaeus is shouting. Jesus is here. This crowd saying, shut it. Bartimaeus, stop. You're annoying. Whatever else. Jesus stops over here. And says to the crowd, call him. Now, Jesus could have stopped, walked over himself, right? Taken Bartimaeus by the hand or something. He says to the crowd who's telling Bartimaeus to stop shouting, call him. Like you, folks around me, invite him. You invite him. The same ones that you're trying to stop him and shut him down and make him quiet. How about this? Change your tone. Watch your mouth. Invite him over. And now there's this quick change of attitude. I love it in the text. It's like immediately the crowd went, hey, Bartimaeus, cheer up. Jesus is calling you. Like one minute, they're like, stop it. And the next, wow, this is great. Come with us. Because Jesus says, hey, you're not seeing this. I see him. You see an annoyance. I see a loved son. And I'm going to make you invite him to me. So bring him in. They say, quick, cheer up. He's calling for you. And this really interesting detail comes out in the text at this point. It says that Bartimaeus threw his cloak aside, jumped to his feet, and came to Jesus. Now, the gospel writer Mark, we talk about this, the gospel writer here, he's the gospel writer who's always in a hurry. Like he's trying to get to the Passion Week. And so details often get 
just set aside by the gospel writer Mark. So anytime you come across a detail in Mark that he pauses long enough to put in the story, it means it's important. So why would he say Bartimaeus threw his cloak aside, jumped to his feet, and came to Jesus? Well, because Bartimaeus' cloak was something really important to him. As someone who was poor and having to beg, you can imagine the cloak that would be wrapped over his shoulders to keep him warm. He probably only had one. But his cloak was used for more than that. Uh, his cloak was his offering plate, you could say. He would take his cloak off of his shoulders in the morning, and he would lay out the cloak in front of him. And as he would beg, if anybody had a few coins for him, or even some food, it was understood that they would just kind of place it on the cloak. And at the end of the day, he could gather it up, whatever he'd collected, and they'd take to the place that he was staying. The cloak's the livelihood. The cloak is the thing that provides him with life. The cloak is the thing that has defined his existence. It's literally the boundaries of his existence for probably as long as he could remember, maybe his whole life. And in one invitation from Jesus, call him. What does Bartimaeus do? I am done with this cloak. <laughs> I know, even before Jesus does anything, Bartimaeus, with a, with a heart of faith and trust, believes that he's not going to need the cloak anymore. His life is about to be radically transformed before Jesus has done anything. You see the faith in that? It's not, well, I better take my cloak unless Jesus sends me away sad or something. Mark puts the detail in to say, by faith, he is believing that he is about to encounter the living God and it's going to be really, really good news. And he throws the cloak aside. This act of faith, he jumps to his feet and the crowd would then bring him to Jesus. Verse 51, Bartimaeus is now face to face with Jesus. Jesus sees him. Bartimaeus can't see Jesus. He's still blind. Jesus asks, what do you want me to do for you? You know, it was the day previous, Jesus asked the same thing of the disciples, like the exact same question word for word. What do you want me to do for you? Power, glory, position, influence. He said no. <laughs> Yet here's Bartimaeus, begging for mercy. And Jesus in the exact same question. He says, what do you want me to do for you? And it's always struck us a little odd that Jesus would ask him, what do you want me to do for you? And you can imagine the crowd around going, doesn't Jesus see he's blind? Like, isn't it obvious? Like, what he probably wants? But Jesus is getting at the heart of a matter. He had asked the disciples a question to reveal the motives of their heart. And everything was exposed. And so here Jesus is again because maybe Bartimaeus comes up and although blind, he's okay with that. What he wants is just a bit of money. Maybe Bartimaeus just wants some lunch. Maybe he wants some sage advice from the guru. I don't know. And so Jesus asks, what do you want me to do for you? What's your request? And Bartimaeus replies with this very tender word. It says rabbi there, but it's actually the word rabboni. And it's only used twice in all of Scripture. It's here, and it's the word that Mary Magdalene uses in the garden after Jesus' resurrection. It's this term of tenderness and honor 
It's like saying, oh, most high teacher, the one who is above and over all, the one who is absolute perfect love, I want to see. Really simple request. I want to see. And Jesus says this fascinating word to Bartimaeus. He's looking at this man. I imagine his hands were on him. Jesus was a high-touch person. And Jesus says, go. Your faith has healed you. Interesting. Pause there with me. Jesus says, go. Weird, isn't it? We hear the word go, and it sounds like Jesus is sending him away, like, like go away. But that's not what that means here. That word go right there literally means to lead away under someone's authority. Here's what he's saying. Jesus is saying, Bartimaeus, go. It's actually what he's saying. It's time for us to go. No more begging beside the road. You're with me now. Let's go. That's what that word, it's not like, hey, something's coming and you can kind of head back to town. Jesus is like, something great's about to happen. And dude, like, let's go. (laughs) This is going to be amazing. And what happens next? Immediately Bartimaeus receives his sight and followed Jesus. He didn't go away. You notice that? Didn't go back into town? The original text says this, and this is so beautiful to me. It says, immediately Bartimaeus received his sight, both physically and spiritually. And it says, and from that moment on, Bartimaeus followed Jesus in the way. That's what it says. Isn't that beautiful? Here's this guy sitting beside a road, and in one encounter with Jesus, out of a heart of faith and belief to set an old life behind and move with faith into a new life, he receives vision, he receives sight, he receives provision, he, provi- he receives purpose, and begins to live in to a whole new reality. You know, I said I'd come back to why he was named in the story. It's a detail. Why say Bartimaeus? Lots of people aren't named, but the beggar beside the road is? Well, it's one idea. One idea that if evidence comes out later, it's not true. You can accuse me of, you know, not being accurate. But this is what I think. The Gospel of Mark is understood to be the Apostle Peter's telling of the story of Jesus. His eyewitness account of walking with Jesus dictated to the writer Mark. It's also our earliest gospel. It was written soonest after the life and resurrection of Jesus, which means Peter might be giving Bartimaeus a name in the text because Bartimaeus was in the company of the early church when this was being read and told. And Peter is saying to the first readers of the gospel, hey, you want a great story? Go ask Bart about how he met Jesus. (laughs) Bart's got a good one, like honestly, because he's part of us. You know, in Acts, um, the church has a name. The church is called the people of the way. Before we were ever called Christians, followers of Jesus were called people of the way. And in verse 52, when it says, and Bartimaeus followed Jesus in the way, it's like a little hint about those who were part of the first followers of Jesus that have remained true and continue to follow in the way. And Peter's saying, if you don't believe me, go ask Bart himself. It's a good one. And that part of that first community that set the tone for what it means to follow Jesus for the next 2,000 years is a beggar named Bartimaeus who took the courage and by faith called out for mercy and received every kind of sight that he could ever have imagined, more than he could have imagined. So what's the point in all this? Is it just a nice story 
Like, good, I'm very happy for Bartimaeus. Hope he's doing well. Is there more here than just a nice gospel story? Well, let me put it this way. Let me ask you a question. You don't have to answer out loud. Do you know, do you know what it feels like to be stuck? Like, really stuck. Maybe stuck in a situation that you don't like. And there is like no way through. You know what it feels like to be stuck relationally? Like you're at an impasse with someone or you're at tension with someone and there doesn't seem to be a way through. You cannot see a way forward. You ever feel stuck in your relationship with your kids if you have children or your grandchildren or nieces or nephews? Like the little ones in our lives, maybe not so little ones in our lives anymore. But there's a stuckness in the relationship with the kid because we're seeing them in a certain way and they see us in a certain way and it just feels stuck. Maybe stuck in another relationship, maybe stuck work in your work relationship. There's someone in your vocation you just can't get things figured out with. I know there hasn't been a lot of like relational fallout over stuff in the last two years. I know it's really rare, but it might be, possibly, uh, that there's relational tension and it feels like there is no way through. There is no way for us. It is how it is, right? People say. You ever feel stuck spiritually? Jesus, I mean, I come to church and I read my Bible and I go to Alpha, I come to meetings, whatever else, but I feel like my soul is a dried up desert. What's going on? What am I supposed to do? I feel stuck spiritually. You ever feel stuck in a harmful habit or a destructive pattern? And you know, when you make those confessions and I make those confessions and we sit on the edge of beds and we say, you know, Jesus, I'm never going to do that again. And six minutes later, we're like, Jesus, I'm sorry. I did the thing again. I cannot see a way through. Is there a way for me through, around, over, under this destructive pattern? Hey, any of you ever feel stuck with your anger? That your own anger surprises you sometimes? And you hate that about yourself? You loathe it about yourself, but stuff happens on the road, in the house, at work, at a grocery store, in a drive-thru at a Tim's or Starbucks or something else, and the anger is there and it feels like it controls you as opposed to you having any control over it and you just feel stuck with it? Any of you ever feel stuck with bitterness? Like there's that thing that happened to you and whether it happened 50 years ago, it feels like it was yesterday and you can still bring it back and you can still feel it and it just feels like you're stuck. And there's no way through. You ever feel stuck with being discontent? Like, I don't like my life. We go on social media and we see all these curated existences of absolute perfection. And we're like, yeah, not me. And we feel discontent. It's like, I don't like my life and I feel stuck. Perhaps I'm the only one. But have you ever felt stuck, friends? Like, have you ever felt stuck? And it feels there is no way through and you are in the dark. And we can't see. You know, the whole point of this morning is to bring us to this right here. It's a prayer we're going to pray. We're going to pray Bartimaeus' prayer. Jesus, we want to see. Would you show us your way through? Let it be your way.
that we walk into. Jesus, have mercy on us and open our eyes to your way. Give us spiritual vision to move to move on and into and how things move beyond how things appear into how they really are. Like to confess that Jesus, we feel stuck. We feel like the beggar on the side of the road with a boundary of existence around us of which we can't get out of. And what we need more than anything is like a spiritual vision. We need spiritual insight where the way of Jesus and Jesus himself is open to us. And when he speaks, follow me in this way. Friends, it's the way through. But here's our issue. You know, we come and we say, Jesus, let us see. And then he shows us the way. You know how often that happens to me? And Jesus will show me a way. And I'm like, yeah, I don't like that one. <laughs> uh, do you have a like, plan B vision here or something? You know, because when there's that relational tension. And I say, Jesus, Jesus, I want to see. And he shows me a path of forgiveness. And I'm like, yeah, that's too hard. Can we do the path of like forgetting or something? Um, and she's like, this, this is my way. And when the anger comes up and we say, Jesus, I want to see. And the way of Jesus looks like talking to someone like a therapist, talking to someone like a doctor, coming for prayer. And it's like, yeah, but that means like talking out loud to people. I don't want to do that. I need another option. When we look at our kids and we say, Jesus, I want to see. And where all we've seen is issues and difficulties or maybe even embarrassment or shame, Jesus gives us a lens and we see the, the perfect image of God resting on our child. We don't understand how that can be there because of the choices they're making or the decisions they've done. And yet Jesus is saying the way into this relationship is through mercy and kindness and, and love. That's hard. When we pray that prayer, Jesus, give us eyes to see your way. Bartimaeus does it. Jesus, I want to see. His eyes are opened. And Jesus says, let's go. Bartimaeus at that moment could have said, ah, cool, no, you can keep going to Jerusalem. I'm going to go back to my little blanket here. And now I can see I can probably raise double in the next few days. Right? He had to leave aside another kind of existence to move into the way of Jesus, which in a few days is leading to a cross. And part of the company of people around Jesus who was heading to a crucifixion, it got hard, it got difficult, but it ultimately led to life. And so friends, honestly, for this morning, as I was praying for us this week, there's lots in the story we could talk about, but I wanted to bring us to this moment and wonder how many of you here in the room, joining us online, are willing to, in this moment, to bring the thing we feel stuck with, to bring our situation, to bring our relationship, whatever it is, and pray Jesus, we want to see. And by saying we want to see, we're saying, Jesus, show us your way out of the stuckness. Show us your way through. And then we commit together as a community to say, and we will walk in that way with Jesus together. And what if in the next few days there's a whole bunch of stuff of unstuckness that starts rolling across this community because Jesus has a way and he has shown us the way and we get to walk in it with him. So I'm going to call our worship team up. And they're going to lead us in a time of a reflection here. But I want us to pause and pray. And you can pray with eyes open or eyes closed. It's up to you. You can put out your hands because we're in a moment of receiving. We're bringing a request to Jesus. And part of that confession is, um, Jesus, we don't see well. Uh, we got trouble with our eyesight when it comes to all sorts of things. And so, Jesus, will you have mercy on us? 
help us to see. And so would you pause with me? And we're going to trust our Jesus, the one who is always merciful, kind, and loving, to give us sight today. Why don't we just pause? And so in our community today, Jesus, you see the confession of every heart, which really begins like this. Uh, Jesus, have mercy on me. And can I give you good news? Um, his answer is yes. He gives you mercy. Jesus never, ever, ever says no to giving mercy. So start there. You, if you need mercy, you ask for it, and he gives it. He's already giving it to you. And now in that place of receiving mercy, he's going to ask us, <laughs> So what do you want me to do for you? And you can ask for anything. I mean, you can go back, I'd like power, I'd like glory, I'd like whatever else, and Jesus might be like, no, you still have mercy, but not that other stuff. But I believe with all of my heart that when we say, Jesus, we want to see, give us spiritual vision of how to see our relationships and our work and our church and our community. We see it a certain way, but we can't trust our eyes. We don't see right all the time. We have blind spots. So Jesus, would you help us to see? I just want to give us a moment before we sing, before we move into communion in a minute, to make your request of Jesus. If he's giving you mercy already, and he's asked you the question, what do you want me to do for you? Will you ask him for sight? Will you ask him for the ability to see with his eyes? You can ask him now, right in your heart. Jesus, we confess we have a way of seeing. And a lot of times we don't even see our blind spots. And we trust our own judgments on who someone is or what value something has or all sorts of judgments we make based on our, our own looking, our own sight. But Jesus, the confession of your church this morning is, Jesus, we need to see. We need to see your way. And now give us courage by your spirit to follow in that way to throw aside the cloak, to throw aside the thing that has been the boundary of our identity and our existence and to fully follow in your way no matter how hard it gets because, Jesus, if we have you, we have everything we need. Help us to see and to live into your way. Amen. Thank you for tuning in to our podcast today. To discover more about Stony Plain Alliance Church and its ministries, visit our website at spaconline.com. Grace and peace.